take your copy of God's Word and open it to the Old Testament book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is the seventh or eighth, eighth book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. Ruth is a short book, only about four chapters. Take you about 12 minutes to read it out loud. And in fact, because it's so short uh, and such a, uh, such a great and, and even just well-written story, we're going to read all of Ruth this morning as we work through our time in God's Word. Um, and, uh, and, and that is true. So uh, it, it's going to be good, though. If you have not ever taken time to read all the way through Ruth, um, or if you missed Ruth in your Bible reading plan this year, you can check it off today. That's my... Christmas gift to you. We'll have read through all of it. Uh, Having said that, uh, you'll need your Bibles open this morning. So if you did not bring a Bible with you, you ought to be able to find one uh, either underneath your seat or under a seat in front of you. The text will not be on the screens this morning. I want you in your Bibles. So flip there or swipe there or however you need to get to Ruth, get to Ruth this morning. And as you find your way, I just want to extend a heartfelt uh, thanks to uh, and word of gratitude to all of you, my church family, for praying for uh, us, for our family as we were traveling last week. Last Saturday, a week ago, yesterday, both Nikki and I uh, graduated with uh, yet another degree from seminary, and um, and so thank you. Um, I'm glad it's done, and uh, so is my wife. In in all reality, Nikki worked harder on on this second of her degrees than I did on mine, uh, as she helped to just raise our kids and keep them going through COVID school and all that other kind of crazy stuff. And um, so we had a great trip. We got to see some really good friends. We're um, encouraged by God as we went out there. And uh, the truth of the matter is, I, I could not have finished this last degree without the prayerful support of the church and active support of you. Um, and so I, I'd like to just recognize some who um, who are a key part in in me finishing uh, this last degree. Um, if you were a man, one of the men who was involved in my ministry project back in March, April, May, would you would you just stand for a moment? I'm just recognizing everybody today. But if you're a part of my ministry project, would you? Stand in. Uh, listen, men, I, uh, those of you who are a part of it, I'm so glad that you were a part of my project. Um, I could not have done it without you. Stay standing for a second. Um, these men spent 11, 10, 11, 12 weeks, something like that. I lost count. There were so many of them. Sorry. Um, learning to make disciples of Jesus. Um, younger brothers, other men in the church, uh, if, if you need someone to disciple you, to help you grow in your walk with Christ, uh, these men are capable of doing it. And so uh, I encourage you, find one of them, ask them to help you follow Jesus, to start reading the Bible with you regularly. Um, these are good examples of godly men whose, whose example you can follow and, and grow as a follower of Jesus. Men, thank you so much. So, uh, uh, so much of my success is, is a part of your help in that. So thank you. You can be seated. Well, on to the task at hand then. If, uh, if you've ever been picked last for dodgeball in elementary school PE, you might know a little bit about what it means to be an outsider, uh, to, to be kind of on the edges, to be maybe the, the less likely to be picked to be a part of something special. If you've ever found yourself in a room being the only person that actually spoke your heart language. Perhaps you found yourself in a room of people that don't speak only Spanish or Portuguese or, uh, or Mandarin, and you only speak English. You know what it feels like to be a stranger in a strange land. Today we come to another one of these stories of these women who appear in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of his gospel, 
We've looked at two already, Tamar, Rahab, and now this week we look at the third of the women that are mentioned uh, in Jesus' background, Ruth. Ruth was a stranger. Ruth was an outsider. All throughout the book that bears her name, Ruth is regularly called Ruth the Moabitess or Ruth the Moabite. She was a descendant of an illicit, incestuous affair between Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his daughters. She was a part of a a people, the nation of Moab, that uh, prevented or or, or gave some resistance to the people of Israel as they were uh, uh, rescued from slavery in Egypt and were trying to return uh, to the promised land that God had given to them. She was an outsider. She was a stranger, and not from one of Israel's friends, but from among their enemies, from among their adversaries. And yet here is this woman, an outsider, a stranger, not a Jew by birth, who is mentioned with specific emphasis in the line of Jesus. Jesus is one of her descendants. Because Ruth is a stranger, Ruth is an outsider, her presence in the genealogy of Jesus teaches us this. And this is what we'll, the the main idea, the big idea that we'll seek to glean from God's word today, that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised rescuer who redeems strangers, who redeems outsiders. So friend, if you are estranged from God, if you feel far from God this morning, or like you don't even know how to come close to him because your life has been, been spent so far from him, or you'd like to come near to God, but you've never been in church or a part of a church before, and you feel like nobody speaks my language here, know this this morning, that Christ stands to welcome you. That Jesus, the Messiah, who rescues the stranger, is ready to receive you. And Christian, if you have come near to God by faith in Christ, realizing that you too were once a stranger, you too were once an outsider when it comes to God's family, this morning, in light of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah who redeems the stranger, you rejoice. You rejoice this morning that Jesus has brought you near to him. Well, good stories, I think, tend to tell themselves. And so I'll do my best not to tell the story of Ruth, but to let the story of Ruth tell itself. So look at your copy of God's Word, and let's... uh, You read along with me. If we try to all read this out loud together, it'll be crazy. So let me read it. You follow along in your Bibles. Beginning in Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. Her name means pleasant. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilian, which means something like sickly and puny. Probably not going to make top ten on your list of baby names. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. These are women who are not born Jews. They're women from among the people of Canaan. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Kilian died, so that, the women, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. 
May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This first chapter of Ruth reveals one thing to us, kind of subtly. It's not right there on the surface. We've got to dig a little bit. But what this first chapter of Ruth reveals to us, shows to us, is God's covenant love through Ruth. God's covenant love through this strange woman from a strange land, through Ruth the Moabite. There are several things that we could observe about this chapter. We could spend a lot of time observing them. But I want to point out one in particular, and that is a word. One word in the course of Ruth chapter 1 that will, that will uh, set us out on a theme or, or start the, the development of a theme throughout the rest of the book of Ruth. And it is this wonderful, uh, our favorite of all Hebrew words, chesed. If you don't say it with spitting a little bit, you're probably not saying it right. But don't try to say it because your neighbor in front of you will not be so happy. But it's this word chesed. It shows up in chapter 1, verse 8. It's the word that is translated in our English Bibles as kindness or kindly. May the Lord deal kindly with you, Naomi says to her daughters-in-law. May the Lord deal in chesed with you. That word chesed means something like covenant love, faithful love, loving kindness, steadfast loyalty. Hesed is a, a hard Hebrew word to translate because hesed does a lot of work with just one word. It brings a, a whole big range of meaning along with it. And so to simply call it, uh, translate it as kindness or steadfast love or loving kindness or covenant love would not quite do justice to all that the word brings with it. So try to keep all of those things in your mind as we work through here. That word chesed means something like covenant love. And we see in Ruth chapter 1, God's covenant love through Ruth. And it comes, God's love comes through Ruth to Naomi in the form of a promise. Did you catch it? The promise comes from Ruth to her mother-in-law. Remember, Ruth is a Moabite woman. 
She doesn't belong to the clan of Ephrathah, part of the tribe of Judah. She wasn't born there. She was born a Moabite woman. The land of Israel is not her home. Moab is her home. Yahweh, the Lord, is not her God. The other gods are her gods. And yet she makes a promise to her mother-in-law who has been widowed, and she herself having been widowed as all of their husbands die in Moab. Ruth says these words to her mother-in-law. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. After Naomi tells Ruth and Orpah to go back home, go back to your mother's house, go back to your gods, Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people are my people now. And your God is my God. And where you die, that's where I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death, parts me from you. Ruth is making a vow, making a promise to her mother-in-law to be bound to her the rest of her life. These are not wedding vows, but these are vows of covenant love, of godly covenant love, of of chesed. See how, how covenant love comes through in what Ruth is doing. Remember, here is a woman, Ruth, of an idolatrous people from a strange land, pledging her life in loyalty and love to her mother-in-law to whom she owes nothing. Ruth has no obligation to her mother-in-law. Ruth has no no relationships binding her to her mother-in-law anymore. There are no sons left among Naomi for Ruth to marry and have any hope of children and, and provision the rest of her life. Naomi has absolutely nothing to offer Ruth. And yet Ruth says, My life is now inextricably bound to yours. Friends, if that's not a picture of covenant love, I don't know what is. I find it quite interesting that it is Naomi in chapter 1, verse 8, who says to Orpah and Ruth, May the Lord deal in chesed with you. The Lord has been good to the living and the dead. May he bless you also. And here at the end of just Ruth chapter 1, we see God's covenant love given as a, uh, as a blessing through Naomi to, to Ruth and to Orpah, but now returned to Naomi through her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. Naomi, this woman whose name means pleasant, wants to now be called Mara, which means bitter, because she says, the Lord has taken everything away from me. My whole life is bitter. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me, call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter which is kind of funny. It's kind of ironic that she says, call me Mara, call me bitterness. And yet throughout the rest of the book of Ruth, nobody calls her that. (laughs) Naomi, who thinks she has had everything taken away, her husband has died, her sons have died, has been blessed through the very kindness, through the very chesed, covenant love of God with a daughter-in-law who we'll find in just a few short chapters is better than seven sons. Ruth chapter one shows us God's covenant love through Ruth, but the story goes on. Follow along with me in chapter 2. Naomi and Ruth return back to Bethlehem in Judah from the country of Moab because they hear that there's food there again. Uh, Funny thing, the word Bethlehem, the name of the city Bethlehem means house of bread, and it's somewhat ironic that as the story begins, there is no food in the house of bread. There's no bread in Bethlehem, but now they've returned. Chapter 2, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, He's a family member, extended family member, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite, lest we forget where she's from, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. 
So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman the, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes uh, be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner, a stranger? Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and implied in that and all of your gods and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name whom I was with, uh, with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her mother-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, and beside all this, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out uh, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. In chapter 1, we see God's covenant love, God's chesed through Ruth, God loving Naomi, this Judahite widow, through her Moabite daughter-in-law. But here in chapter 2, we see God's covenant love, God's chesed in a different direction. Not through Ruth, but now to Ruth. We see God's covenant love to this strange woman from a strange land who was previously an idolater, a worshiper of other gods. 
the story here in chapter 2 really starts to get good. Because here, Ruth, at the beginning, goes to glean in the field of Boaz. Now, this is a process that was allowed by God among his people in Israel for widows and orphans, for the poor person, for the stranger, the sojourner in the land, that during the harvest time, if they were hungry and they had no, no land to uh, get produce from themselves, they could go into the, to the fields and follow those who were taking up the harvest, and they could pick up what fell on the ground, take it home, and bake bread for themselves. And so Ruth, knowing that this is God's provision, for the poor, the widow, the stranger among his people. She goes to glean in this field. And as she's there gleaning, the man who owns the field, Boaz, shows up. And Boaz, we see, does three things. He first of all notices Ruth. He takes notice of this young woman who's gleaning in his field. She catches his eye. We don't know what it was about her. Perhaps it was the widow's garments that she may have been wearing. It's obvious that she's a widow and he hadn't seen her before gleaning in the field. So he asks the foreman among his reapers, who is this woman? She's awfully young to be a widow. The man tells her about who Ruth is, where she's come from, all the covenant love that she's shown to her mother-in-law. And Boaz sets his favor on Ruth and protects her. He goes to Ruth and he says, hey, listen, don't go to any other field uh, while you're here reaping and gathering and and, uh, or following the reapers and and gleaning from the harvest. Stay in my field. Stay with my young women. My young men have been charged to protect you and not to assault you. This is a safe place. Get all that you need from here. And then he goes a step even further in his favor for Ruth. He invites her over for lunch that day. And they sit there and they're eating and he gives her a place of honor and, uh, and, and honorable food to eat. And he provides for her with what I would call abundant abundance. Uh, Boaz gives to her far more than she could have ever expected to take home that day. Not only does she get all the leftovers that she couldn't eat at lunch to take home, but she gets everything that she gleaned during the day. And he tells his reapers, he says, hey, do me this favor. Because those who are gleaning, because they, they're left to just pick up what's left behind by the reapers. He says, leave some behind on purpose for Ruth. If you see her gleaning behind you, pull out some of what you've already gleaned and bundled up and leave it on the ground behind you for her to pick up. Let her go home with more than she could ever expect to, uh, expect to go home with. Notice in all of this that Boaz, even if Ruth doesn't recognize it immediately, Naomi does that Boaz, Boaz is God's covenant love to Ruth, the stranger, the Moabite. Chapter 2, verse 20. Naomi says, May the Lord bless the man who has dealt kindly with you. Again, that word chesed shows up. Right? The Lord is dealing in kindness, not through Ruth, but now to Ruth, through Boaz. God is showing his faithful covenant provision-laced love to this strange woman, through this nobleman, Boaz. And we're introduced in chapter 2 to another word. Perhaps you caught it in chapter 2. Again, verse 20. Shows up in our English Bibles as redeemer or kinsman redeemer. It's the Greek word, or excuse me, the Hebrew word, goel. We learned two Hebrew words today, chesed and goel. If you forget nothing, if you forget everything else, remember those two words. Loving kindness and a redeemer. The goel, the redeemer, is a member of the clan that a people of Israel would belong to who could marry a widow to provide for her, to take care of her, and also to bear a child with her. The first child of their, uh, of their marriage would carry on the name of the husband that she had that had previously died. Boaz is a man who can marry Ruth and bear children with her that will carry on the name of 
her husband, Mahlon, who previously died, and who could carry on the name and the clan of Elimelech, who died while they were in Moab. Boaz is a member of the clan of Ephrathah, of the tribe of Judah. He's a near relative to Elimelech. He's a potential husband for Ruth, and he's an honorable man who gives chesed to this strange woman from a strange land. But the story goes on. Look at Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and he turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness, this last act of chesed, greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. I am a goel. Yet there is a redeemer who's nearer than I, who's closer to your family than I am. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? She told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Well, we've seen God's covenant love through Ruth. We've seen God's covenant love to Ruth. And here in chapter 3, we see God's provision of a redeemer for Ruth. Already we had foreshadowing of that in chapter 2 when Naomi tells us that Boaz is a goel. He's a family redeemer. So at the beginning of chapter 3, we find that Boaz is just a potential redeemer. Uh, there's a redeemer who's, who's closer still, we come to find. But Naomi, uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, is committed to seeing Boaz become an actual redeemer. She, she's going to set up Ruth and Boaz, and it's going to be successful. She's going to play her best role of matchmaker that she possibly can. So Naomi hatches a plan to get Ruth a husband. She tells Ruth, wash up, clean yourself up, get yourself ready, take off your, take off your widow's garments, put on your other cloak, and, and in the middle of the night, go and stealthily reveal yourself to Boaz as a prospective wife to him. It was common in those days, after a long day of working in the field, the men would go down to the threshing floor. The threshing floor is where uh, all the fun happens after the harvest. You take everything that you have, uh, uh, all of the stalks of grain that you've cut down, and you uh, keep them all in one room. And oftentimes you have a mule or an ox uh, pulling a wheel 
uh, around the floor and, and, and that wheel rolls over the heads of grain and it breaks the kernel of grain out from the, uh, from the bit of the stalk that it's there. And then they do a process of threshing where they take a pitchfork and they just throw everything kind of up in the air. And uh, the grain, the kernels of wheat fall down and the other stuff, the chaff they would call it, would kind of blow away. And so they'd be there working all day and at the end of the day, they would just sleep there because you've got to wake up the next morning and do it again, right? So Boaz is there sleeping after this day of harvest. Ruth comes in the middle of the night, uh, uncovers his legs in the night so the cool night air might rouse him to, uh, to wakefulness. And she just lays there and waits for him to wake up. I wonder how long Ruth had to just lay there going, okay, when's he going to wake up? Like, any time now, Boaz, you know? I wonder if she maybe nudged him with her elbow or something like that. Probably not, but just like... And Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night, and I love the way that this text says this, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned, over, and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. It's just kind of funny. Like, ah, oh, who's this? He says, who are you? She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. You know me. I gleaned in your field all day today, and, uh, and you provided well for me. Uh, you are a redeemer. My mother-in-law, Naomi, has told me, and I'd like to be your wife. I'd, I'd like you to make me your wife. I'd like you to be my husband. So Naomi hatches this plan for Ruth to go and stealthily reveal herself to Boaz in the middle of the night, and the plan works. Boaz recognizes that he is a goel, he's a family redeemer, that, that he can carry out the, the right of redemption to, to marry a, a clansman's, uh, a, fellow, a fellow tribesman's widow and carry on uh, children and, and his line uh, through her in his place. Boaz recognizes, though, again, that word, chesed, that kindness of God to him through Ruth in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, this last act of kindness is better than the first. This last act of chesed to me is, is even better than you showing up in my field today because you've asked me to be your husband and I'm not the most eligible bachelor in town. There's a, there's a redeemer who's nearer and there are also other people in town, other men who are, young, who are younger than me that are both rich and poor, maybe even better looking than me. But Ruth, you've chosen me. Boaz also recognizes, as we said, that there's a redeemer who's closer than he is. But Boaz is a noble man. He's a good man. We've already seen this in his character, in the way that he provides for Ruth. And he says, we, we have a problem, though, Ruth. I'm not the closest redeemer. There's someone closer than me. There's someone who, who bears the right of redemption before me. And I can't marry you unless he passes that up. So here's the deal, Ruth. I would love to marry you. But if this other guy will do it, let him do it. It'll be good for you. But if he won't, I give you my word today that I will. So God has shown his love through Ruth. He's shown his love to Ruth. And now God is providing a redeemer, a husband, someone who can bring her life back from desperation and widowhood to a place of prosperity and provision in this man, Boaz. And the story concludes in chapter four. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and he sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then Boaz said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it here in the presence of those sitting and in the presence of the elders of my people. And if you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, so that I may know, for there's no one else beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And the man, the nearer redeemer, said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, 
Well, the day you buy the land from the hand of Naomi, the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. You remember that lady who's a stranger from a strange land who used to worship strange gods? You also acquire her, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So you buy the field, you also get your wife, brother. And the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. If I marry her and buy that land, I won't be able to inherit from my father what, what, what is due to me. So you take my right of redemption yourself. I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. I'm not really told why this is the case, but it's what they did. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Mahlon. And Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and all the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, and Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, king in Israel. As the story wraps up, We've seen God's covenant love given through Ruth, given to Ruth, God's provision of a redeemer. And now finally, we see God's promise protected in Ruth. God protecting a promise in this woman, this strange woman from a strange land who used to worship strange gods. In this final scene of Ruth's story, we see Boaz honorably and shrewdly, I might add, making good on his promise to marry Ruth, to redeem Ruth out of her widowhood. So Boaz here in chapter four goes to the city gates where agreements and exchanges were made and were formalized and approved by the elders of the city. And he finds a a seat near the gate and he just waits until that nearer redeemer, that other Goel happens to walk by. And he says, hey, good to see you. Have a seat. Oh, and look, here are 10 elders of the town. Why don't you guys come sit down too? And while we're all here, Naomi's back from Moab. You remember her, widow of Elimelech. Good news. She's selling the piece of property that belonged to her husband, and it's up for sale. And he turns to his buddy, the nearer redeemer, probably a cousin of his, cousin of his and he says, hey, bro, you're first up. You get first right of refusal. Do you want to buy this property? And the guy says, heck yes, I do. I'd love to add some more land to, uh, to what I own. Sounds great. I'll buy it. And Boaz says, 
great. I'm so glad to hear that. This gift, this purchase comes with, comes with an additional bonus gift. And it is a wife. And not just any wife, brother. Ruth, the Moabite, the strange woman from a strange land who used to worship strange gods. People from among the enemies of Israel. Right? You, certainly you want her in your home too, right? The cousin, the near redeemer says, well, actually no. <laughs> uh, if I marry her, if I uh, uh, purchase the land and she becomes my wife, I'm not going to inherit whatever my father intends to leave to me because he's not going to leave anything to me if I marry a Moabite woman, a woman from someone outside of Israel. I can't redeem the land lest I lose everything. So Boaz, it's your go, man. It's all you. And Boaz says, awesome. I already made the promise to do it. So he stands up there in the witnesses and in the presence of, of all of the elders and says, all of you are witnesses. I'm buying the land, but more than that, I'm taking Ruth to be my wife. And I'm going to perpetuate her dead husband's lineage through her. I'm going to carry on his name as the Goel, as the kinsman redeemer who stands in the place. God's promised covenant to Ruth and through Ruth comes full circle here in this scene as she and Boaz eventually get married and have a son named Obed. Obed, who himself will be grandfather to David the king. You see, Ruth is the great-grandmother to David the king. Ruth, that strange woman from a strange land who used to worship strange gods, grandmother to the greatest king in Israel in the Old Testament. More than this, though, the promise that... Well, we have to ask the question. What is the promise that God is protecting in Ruth? I've said that he is. You may be asking, what is it? Well, it's precisely this, the promise of a king in the line of Judah who will rule his people. Remember two weeks ago when we were looking at the woman, uh, Tamar, who appears, the first woman who appears in Matthew's genealogy? Tamar uh, uh, ends up in this weird, illicit affair with her father-in-law, Judah, and she bears his son, and uh, that son, she has uh, twins actually by him, Perez and Hezron. Perez is the, the, the oldest, the first one to uh, be born. And, um, and later on in Genesis chapter 49, as Judah's father, Jacob, who had his name changed to Israel, as he's about to die, he gives blessing to all of his sons and he tells Judah that Judah is a lion and that the scepter will not depart from him. Judah is going to be the, the fountainhead of a kingly tribe among his brothers. There's a king coming through Judah and all the way up through the slavery of the Hebrews in Egypt and their exodus and their return to the land and this time under the judging of the judges in Ruth's day, the question is, when will that king come? The answer to that question is soon. Soon. The people have been hoping for a king, waiting for a king in the line of Judah to rule his people. And now we're told in Ruth about where that king comes from. That king, David, who will follow Saul as the first king of, uh, as the second king of Israel after Saul, but, but a king who's a man after God's own heart. Now David's got his own problems, and we'll learn about those next week. But David, who, who rules Israel well, the king that the people had been hoping for, had been waiting for, is, is just on the horizon. The promise that God had given to Judah is protected in Ruth. A king is coming, but maybe not the way we would have expected A king is coming, and not through the the family line with the best pedigree in Judah. A king is coming through a strange woman from a strange land who used to worship strange gods. God protects his promise in Ruth, this outsider, this outcast, this person who is far off. That's a wonderful story that we, a wonderful 
uh, kind of point truth that, that, that we learn from the story of Ruth. But we have to remember that Ruth is there in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And the question is, why? Why does Ruth, why does a strange woman from a strange land who used to worship strange gods, why does she show up in Jesus' genealogy in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel? What does her presence in the genealogy teach us? Well, it teaches us first this, that Jesus, because he comes in the line of Ruth, this strange woman, that Jesus is God's Messiah for strangers. Jesus is God's promised redeemer for people who are far from him. Ruth is not an Israelite woman. In fact, the writer of her story regularly has reminded us that she is a Moabite. We, we, we could ask, what is Ruth's last name? And the answer would be the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. She's an outsider. She's a stranger. And yet she's great grandmother to David, the king of Israel. And great, 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 I lost count, grandmother to Jesus. We've been noting all along in this series as we look at these Christmas characters, these women that show up in the lineage of Jesus. And we've been noting all along that the several women who are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy of the Messiah are there to point us not just to these women, but specifically to the kinds of people that these women represent that Jesus comes for. Ruth is a stranger, an outsider, a Moabite, and her presence in the genealogy of Jesus shows us that Jesus is not just for those who are part of the in crowd, not just part of those whose families have always been in church. Jesus doesn't just come for the children of deacons and pastors and missionaries. More than that, Jesus doesn't just come for members of Baptist churches, but that Jesus comes for everyone, and especially those who feel far from God, especially for those who may feel estranged from God, maybe even for those who feel unable to come to God. Jesus came for them too. Ruth's presence in the line of Jesus says to everyone, friend, you are not so far from God that his arm cannot reach to save. Jesus is God's Messiah for the stranger. That's what Ruth's presence in his genealogy teaches us. It teaches us a second thing, though, that Jesus is God's covenant love to sinners. Jesus is God's kindness, his steadfast loyalty, his chesed to sinners. That word, our favorite of Hebrew words, chesed, which means covenant, faithful, loyal, love, all of that and more combined. That word, that theme that pervades Ruth's story becomes the theme of God's very heart for his people. Hesed is not just a theme of Ruth's story. Hesed is a theme of God's heart for his people. Several centuries later, after Ruth, when the world was speaking Greek, the word hesed was translated in Greek uh, to, the, to the Greek word eleos, which means grace or mercy, unmerited favor and kindness. But that word hesed includes more than just mercy, though, as we've, we've seen uh, even just in Ruth. It does more than just say, may the, may the Lord be merciful to you, Ruth. Uh, the Lord has dealt in mercy toward me, Naomi, or... Boaz saying to Ruth, you've been merciful to me. Now that that word hesed means so much more than that. It includes more than just mercy. It carries with it, I think, some overlap with that Greek word for love, that Greek idea of a godly, of a divine love, that word agape, which means something like loving concern. It's not just like a, a, a love for pizza or for ice cream. 
Agape is like how we love our wives, how we love our husbands, how we love our children, how we love our grandchildren. We don't just love them because they make us feel good. We love them because there's some sort of deep bond or, or commitment that we've made to them. There's something deeper than just emotion there. Chesed and agape have this overlap in some way. Jesus is God's covenant love to sinners. We read it in our call to worship this morning, 1 John chapter verses 9 and 10, when John, the friend of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, writes in his first letter saying, in this, the love of God, the agape of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Ruth's presence in the genealogy of Jesus reminds us of that theme of God's own heart, of chesed, of covenant, faithful love, even for people, even for strangers who don't deserve it. And what is Jesus, friends, but God's manifest chesed for humanity, a propitiation for sins, forgiveness for sins, a victorious redeemer who's raised from the dead, who promises to save all who call on him in faith. But we learn a third thing about Jesus from Ruth's presence in his genealogy, and that is this. And it's the other word we picked up on in Ruth, that Jesus is our Goel. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Inasmuch as Boaz was able to redeem Ruth by marrying her, he served as a shadow of a greater redeemer yet to come. For what Boaz could do for Ruth in this life, he could restore provision to her. He could give her security, love, and care, provide a family for her. Boaz could not do for Ruth, nor could he do for himself, In the same sense, what they needed most. What Jesus is to all mankind is the kinsman redeemer who is able to buy us back, not from widowhood, not from generic poverty, but a redeemer who can buy us back from spiritual poverty and spiritual alienation from God in order to make us sons and daughters of God. In his incarnation at that first Christmas, the Son of God took on human flesh to be with us. Emmanuel, that's what the word Emmanuel means, God with us, as one of us, so that he could most perfectly redeem us, rescue us, bring us back into relationship with God after we had broken it by our sin in order to make us sons and daughters of our Creator. Jesus was born an infant so that he might live the righteous life that we could not live in our place. And he died as our sacrifice on the cross, the death that we deserve for our sin against God. And he was raised in glory in our place to make sons and daughters of God, everyone who finds grace and mercy in the shelter of his wings. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, he says, When the fullness of time had come, that is to say, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to rescue, as a kinsman redeemer, those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Ruth's presence in the genealogy of Jesus, this this woman whose life is just full of the theme of God's covenant love and God's provision of a redeemer, points us to Jesus the Messiah, who is the redeemer, who is the goel, who is God's chesed covenant love for sinners. Friend, this morning, do you find yourself, as we work through Ruth, thinking, I'm a stranger to God. I'm far from him, like Ruth, that strange woman from a strange land who used to worship strange gods was. I'm far from him. Well, this morning, look to Jesus, 
who stands ready as your kinsman redeemer to bring you near. Do you wonder, perhaps, friend, if God could be merciful to a sinner like you? Well, then look no further than Jesus, who is himself the very mercy and love of God in human flesh, not for the righteous, but for sinners. That's who Jesus came for. Do you long to know God as your heavenly Father? Do you long to be restored to your Creator, to have your sins forgiven? Then, my very dear friend, come to Jesus, your Savior and brother, your nearest kinsman redeemer, who has come to rescue you and to reunite you with the God who knows you most deeply. All that your heart longs for, Jesus provides. All that your soul needs, Jesus gives in abundance if you'll simply receive Him as Lord. Christian, you who have come to Christ for all these things, you who who know Christ as the one who brings you near, you who know Christ as God's covenant love to you, you who know Christ as your nearest Redeemer who alone could bring you back into covenant relationship with God, you rejoice today. You who see the theme of God's redemption all in Ruth's life just, just spilling over in your own life, you rejoice today. You rejoice this Christmas. This is is, is reason for gladness. And I invite you this morning, Christian, if you know Christ this way, your nearest redeemer, the one who has rescued you from your sin, the one who's brought you back into a relationship uh, with God, the one who has taken you from being a stranger in your sin to being a son or a daughter of God by faith, express your gladness today in speech and in song and in prayer and tomorrow as we're scattered into the world in gospel proclamation to those who don't yet know him because your redeemer, you rejoice today, you rejoice tomorrow because your redeemer has made you whole by his covenant love expressed for you in Christ Jesus, his son. Oh, I love Ruth. What a great story of God's love, God's faithfulness, God's provision, all brought full circle and fulfilled in spades in Jesus, the great, 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 great grandson of Ruth, the Moabite. Let's pray together and we're going to respond in rejoicing in song as God's people this morning.